Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to the podcast to always be ready for that next message. I want to begin today with a personal note. As many in our congregation know, my father-in-law passed away this last week. Chris had been in declining health for several years, but the end came as a surprise to us all. In the midst of all this, Valley View has been a wonderful support to my family. I want to offer a word of thanks to Valley View, to the congregation. You have blessed the Walker family in a multitude of ways. Early on, as we were starting to realize the seriousness of Chris's condition, the administrative council stepped in and put together a plan to help, with the help of Pastor Russ, to free me up to be where I needed to be for family. That was such an incredible gift. Thank you. It can be hard to take off my hat as a pastor, uh, and so the council, they stepped in so that I didn't even have to raise the issue. My wife Betsy and I felt all of your prayer support. We were blessed by cards, notes, and phone calls of encouragement. And after my father-in-law passed away into the presence of Jesus, you continued to shower us with love, food, encouragement, and prayer. I know that each text, card, and prayer has meant the world to Betsy. At the funeral, we were surprised when several families made the over two-hour, one-way trip to be a part of the calling hours and funeral service. This is more than we ever expected or dreamed of. Thank you, thank you to all of our Valley View friends. Your love and support has truly been a lifeline through this difficult week. And I want to take a moment for those who are listening to encourage you to be a part of a church. If you're not a part of a church, please become a part of a church. I implore you, seek out a church that you can call home, a group of believers that can bless you in the storms of life. I know many of you will say, well, I can be a Christian without being a part of church. And well, to you, I say this, you can be saved and set for heaven without being a part of a church, but you are missing out on one of God's greatest designs for fellowship, love, and family. I know congregations are not perfect, and sometimes it can be downright hurtful, but don't give up. Keep looking until you find a congregation that brings heaven down here to earth and that invites you to be a part of that, to bless others as well. Thank you, Valley View. You have truly shown your character as the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, on to a short message, and I will try to be short. It's been a tiring week. A short message about spiritual disciplines and the spiritual discipline of solitude. The noted English architect Sir Christopher Wren was supervising the construction of a magnificent cathedral in London. A journalist thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers, so he chose three and asked them this question, What are you doing? The first one replied, I'm cutting stone for ten shillings a day. The next answered, I'm putting in ten hours a day on this job, 
But the third said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. That's pretty interesting. Three workers all working on the same project. Three attitudes that could not be more different. One saw it as an ordinary task of cutting stone for a wage. Another saw it as time, time that was asked of him to serve in a job, ten hours a day. But the third saw grandeur in his employment. What's the difference? I would propose to you the difference is perspective. The view and attitude from which each of the three workers understood their job. And perspective can make all the difference. It can move us from despair to feeling as though we are kings and queens of privilege. A few weeks ago, we began talking about the spiritual discipline of solitude. And this week, I want to share one of my favorite Bible stories. And it involves solitude. It is a story that God uses where God uses solitude to reset, reorient, and redeem the heart and mission of the prophet Elijah. If you spend time in this text, you'll find that there is a clear difference between being alone, being isolated, <coughs> and practicing the discipline of solitude. You will also see that solitude, when practiced well, gives us a window into the perspective of God. This text is for any person who is weary, any person who is uncertain, any person who is despairing at the world around them. If you feel that today, or if you find yourself in that position, this text is for you. This text is for the person who says, None of this makes any sense to me, God. I need an answer. Help me to see what you see. Now, I cannot guarantee a formula for hearing God's voice and getting answers. But in Elijah's story, we see some of the warning signs that keep us from God, and we see practices that can open our ears and prepare our hearts to hear God's voice and see what he desires for our world. I want to give a little background before we read the text. See, Elijah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel, and Israel has strayed away from God, and they're worshiping the false god Baal. Baal is a false god, and I want to be real clear about that, and they think of him as the god of the harvest, and he's supposed to provide anything that the harvest needs, so primarily Baal provides rain and plenty so the crops can grow. Elijah has a successful career proclaiming the orders of God, the plans of God, and thwarting what the people believe about Baal. Elijah proclaims that God will cause a drought. And it happens. There's a drought, and Baal cannot make it rain. He's a god of rain. He's supposed to, but it has no success. Later, Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The false prophets have no success calling upon Baal and getting his attention, but Elijah is able to pray to God, and God shows up in fire, consuming the offering. And Elijah, in that moment of victory, has the prophets of Baal executed by the sword. On the heels of this victory, God prompts Elijah to pray for rain, and there's a deluge of water that pours from the sky. By every measure that you read a story, Elijah is successful. He has shown everyone that God is real, and that they've been unfaithful by worshiping Baal. 
And it is in the middle of this success that Elijah comes crashing down. He finds himself in complete despair. He is confused in his thinking and exhausted in body. Elijah needs help. And he begins to try to get that help by seeking unhealthy solitude. He makes a roughly 330-mile journey to be by himself. He seeks isolation. He seeks aloneness. He seeks to die. And amidst of that fear and despair, God reaches out and revitalizes Elijah. And I propose we can see in this text that God has this for us as well, if we would seek his face. So let's read the text, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. <clears throat> Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough? Or it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under the broom tree. And behold... An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, And God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. 
And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall put shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put it to, put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. What an interesting story. And one might ask the question, how do you go from victory to despair? Well, quite simply, at least that's what I see in this passage, is you let yourself become depleted and exhausted. You lose perspective on what God is doing in the world around you, and you give, give up on being used for God's kingdom. And once you have all that mixed together, that exhaustion, that loss of perspective and giving up on your mission, add on to that threats from powerful people, threats for your life, and you have a recipe for disaster. You see, our story started by mentioning Ahab. He's the king of Israel. And I mentioned Jezebel. She is his queen. And on top of being his queen, she is also the head of the cult of Baal. And she doesn't like that Elijah has showed the powerlessness of Baal. And that he's killed the false prophets of Baal. And so she threatens Elijah. She wants him dead. She wants him dead as soon as possible. Now think for a moment. Through Elijah, God has caused three and a half years of drought. He's brought the dead back to life. He's miraculously burned up an offering on Mount Carmel. And he's brought rain flooding back. There has been sign after sign after powerful sign from God. Jezebel should not be able to frighten Elijah, but she does. His response is to seek unhealthy solitude. And that's one lesson we need to learn from this passage. It is possible to practice unhealthy solitude, unhealthy aloneness. Because Elijah enters into solitude driven by fear instead of a desire to meet with God. That's a major red flag. Do not go into solitude, into isolation, simply out of fear. We should go with a desire to meet with God. A few weeks ago, when we started talking about solitude, I said this about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are practices that call us from shallow surface living into the depths of God. Spiritual disciplines are designed to bring us to our full potential as Christians. And nothing that Elijah is doing at the beginning of our text is to, is nothing he's doing is seeking the depths of God or trying to reach his potential as a prophet. Instead, Elijah is driven by fear and confusion and despair. It's fear because he doesn't want to die by Jezebel's hand. It's confusion because, and maybe you saw this in the text, he doesn't want to die by Jezebel's hand, but he wants to die alone in the desert. And he's despairing because he can only see Israel's unfaithfulness to God. He can't see any of the good that's happening. He only sees the bad. So Elijah enters solitude to be alone. He leaves behind his servant, and he seeks to die instead of seeking God. You know, we can seek unhealthy solitude. 
And we do that when we want to hide from the challenges of life, when we want an unhealthy way to be alone from people that God puts in our lives to help us. Solitude is not about being alone. So many of us think that's what solitude means. It's not about being alone because we're never truly alone. We're always with God. Solitude, the spiritual discipline of solitude, is about turning off distractions until we can enjoy the presence of God. And Elijah, he's not seeking the presence of God at the beginning of our text. For those of you who are seeking to be alone or feeling like you are alone, please pray, seek God, ask Him to examine your heart. Perhaps you're hiding more than you're looking for God. Perhaps you resemble Elijah's broken state. And this is what I love about God. He is not content to leave us in our fear, in our anger, in our despair, in our loneliness. God reaches out to Elijah and guides him through a simple process. I just want to take a few moments to talk about this process. Of It's a process of restoration that puts Elijah back on a healthy mission for God. And I can sum up this process, we can sum up this process in three steps. They don't necessarily have to happen in order, although the last one usually needs to be last. And the three steps are this very simply, reset, reorient, and redeem. With that word reset, we can see that Elijah is in a broken and confused state. He can no longer see up from down, left from right. He can't identify the fruits that are good from his ministry. He sees victory as defeat. Uh, Elijah has everything backwards when he's looking around, hearing the threats of Jezebel. And so God works out a reset in his life. It's quite simple. God addresses the basic needs of Elijah. And by addressing those basic needs, he is resetting him. He's allowing him to rest, to be restored, to be rejuvenated, to be refreshed. God is easing the exhaustion and resetting Elijah. And we see that, that he lets Elijah sleep a lot. He provides shade under a broom tree for Elijah. You know, it's relief from the sun. He provides water in a jar. He provides food, and he does this multiple times. He provides a holy touch through an angel. God provides just enough until Elijah, and that's one thing about what God provides. He provides everything Elijah needs so that he's able to make the journey to Mount Horeb. He doesn't serve him one meal. He doesn't let him sleep a little bit. He gives him everything he needs to be prepared for this journey to Mount Horeb. You know, sometimes we need a reset. I'm sure you've had to reset your computer or your phone or a video game system. When we, we do this, when we have a moment when the programs are not working, they're not doing their proper things that they're designed to do, or maybe even the computer is frozen. Ever have that wonderful situation? Oh, it's all locked up. It's not doing what I want it to do. And sometimes a reset is needed. You hit that button. You cut the power, it resets. The programs start fresh over again without confusion. And you can begin a reset in your life to prepare you to hear God's voice. But you need to let God finish the reset. A reset starts by identifying 
Am I meeting my basic needs? Am I seeking safety? Am I seeking food and water? Not just any food, but good food, healthy food. Am I letting myself sleep? If you find yourself in distress, start by asking yourself if you're taking care of your basic needs. I must admit, right now, in my own grief, having lost a family member, that's where I am. And I ask myself often, and I ask other family members often, how are you doing? Are you taking care of yourself? Self-care is so important right now. We need sleep. We need healthy food. We need to get hydrated. And when we do those things, we start a little bit of a reset that helps us get unstuck, unfrozen, and get the confusion out of our lives. Will you do that? Will you begin that reset, and will you invite God to finish it? Because at some point you've got to let God step in and give you a holy touch from his angel, a holy calling to say, go to the mountain and meet. We need a reset. Are you doing that? And then we need reorientation to reconfigure, to see anew. Because Elijah, he's lost his perspective on Israel. He sees Israel's unfaithfulness. He sees them as a lost cause, completely lost. And Elijah goes so far as to say, he says, I, I'm the only one left, God. I'm the only one faithful to you. This, th there's no point in going any further. And this is just simply not true. He's lost perspective. He needs reoriented. See, just a few Verses earlier in 1 Kings 18, verse 13, Elijah meets with the prophet Obadiah, a prophet of God who's faithful. And Obadiah tells Elijah, you know, I found a hundred prophets of the Lord. They're good men, probably good men and women. And I've hidden them away so they're safe. They're taken care of. They have all the food and water they need. So Elijah was just told very shortly before what we're reading today that there are a hundred other prophets that are ready to go. But Elijah believes the wrong perspective. He says, you know what? I personally laid everything on the line and it's come up short. I gave everything I had and I just can't see a win here. He sees all that is wrong and negative instead of what is right. When this happens, you need a reorientation. And that's what Elijah gets. From an unhealthy perspective to God's view of the world. There's a story by Stuart Starchin that goes like this. Have you ever noticed how we often see ourselves, specifically our bodies, our facial features, differently? In 2013, the soap company Dove decided to explore this phenomena by hiring an FBI-trained forensic artist to draw sketches of women. The artist was tasked with doing two sketches, one based on how the woman described herself and the second based on how complete strangers described the woman. The results were shocking. Sketches done based on the description of the strangers were always more beautiful than the ones described by the women, than, the women themselves. It was a commercial. It was an advertisement. The point of the ad was rather obvious. Most women do not appreciate their own beauty, nor can they accurately describe how they look the goal of the ad was to help women to see their own beauty and to foster a greater appreciation of their own beauty. It also shows our lack of perspective on ourselves. And when that happens, we need a reorientation. And that's what God does at the end of our story. 
All Elijah can see is unfaithless. He says, I am the only one left. But at the end of the story, after God gives Elijah a new mission, he informs Elijah, there are 7,000 people who have never worshipped Baal. They've never bowed to him. They've never kissed his altar. He gives him a new picture of what Israel's really like. Yeah, the majority of people are unfaithful, but there's a bigger group who have been faithful than you understand, Elijah. Perhaps... Today, as you hear this message, you need to ask God to show you what he sees. You need that reorientation to let God clue you in on how he sees the world. Now, finally, God redeems Elijah's calling. That's the last step in the process. It's that redeem portion. Now, we often talk about redemption in the church as a redemption that we can have uh, and need by surrendering to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the best sort of redemption. But what I mean here is that God took Elijah's selfish isolation in the desert, and after resetting him and reorienting him, God recommissioned Elijah with a new mission, he, he, or he set him to finish his mission. See, what Elijah meant for bad, hiding in the desert in a bad way, God turned for good. And I think we need to understand this, that Sometimes what we do where we are needs to be redeemed by the Lord. A few weeks ago, I was listening to a Christian author and pastor. His name's Dr. Matthew Sleeth. And he was speaking about a new book that he had written. It's called Hope Always. It's quite a startling and good book. It's a book on suicide prevention. And I think is much needed in our day and age. I'd highly recommend it. It's a great, great book to read. But in the interview with Dr. Sleeth, he was talking about his experience during this pandemic with quarantine and shutdowns and being at home far more than he ever planned on. And he said one of his prayers became, Lord, his prayer became this, Lord, show me how you will redeem this time. So he explained, he said, you know, quarantine, shutdowns, it might be fun to be uh, stuck at home without having a workload, uh, the busy, frenetic schedule, you know, for a little while, but eventually... It just seems like you're stuck. It seems like you, you're, you're cut off from the world. And so he said, Lord, I want you to redeem this. Turn this for your glory. How wonderful it would be if we all prayed wherever we found ourselves. If we found ourselves in a bad situation or a good one, if we prayed, Lord, redeem this. Turn it for your glory. Make it something good. And if you find yourself in a place of uncertainty or struggle, I would challenge you to ask God to redeem the situation you find yourself in, to turn it into something holy and good. For Elijah, the key moment of that redemption comes when he's on the mountaintop and he's meeting with the still, small voice of God. He got to have that wonderful moment of seeing God, meeting with him, but he had to have a reset first. He had to have a reorientation of his attitude. And then he got redeemed. You have a new mission, Elijah. Go, anoint these kings. Uh, go and talk to Elisha to become your successor as a prophet. He's redeemed. His mission is redeemed. Perhaps you find yourself today in the midst of struggle, or you find yourself in loneliness right now. Will you seek solitude with the purpose of letting God reset you, reorient you, 
and redeem you with a new calling for how you will be a part of his kingdom. Let us pray. O Lord, you are the one from whom all good proceeds. Grant us the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may always think of these things that are good, and that by your merciful guidance we may accomplish the same, that you would reset, reorient, and redeem us. That you would do this through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.